Hey, everybody. Welcome back to a new episode of Project Tahiti. It's a magical place. I'm one of your hosts, Jess, and I'm joined by your other host, Jared. Hello. Hi. I felt like a game show host right there. I was like, ah, I'm one of your hosts, Jess. <laughs> I don't know why I said it like that. <laughs> it's awesome. I get to be Vanna White. I get to... <laughs> Now I need you to draw like <laughs> Ben White and what's his name with my head and your head on the <laughs> characters. Me, <laughs> and, and, shield. <laughs> I mean, this is sequin cocktail dress uh, turning the letter shield. <laughs> You're behind the podium. Perfect. Shield of fortune. Oh my God. If we named our episodes, this would be, that would be the name of this episode. <laughs> That's great. Oh, my God. So this is the episode that I think a lot of people have been waiting for us to talk about for a while because it is like the turning point, I feel like, in at, at Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Well, like, I, I've mentioned, I think, like four or five times because it's yeah. literally it's the one where I think I heard it recommended so much and it was still on the ABC website back when people would go to websites like a network website to stream something. <laughs> yeah. Know? It's like uh, one of the most critically acclaimed episodes of Agents of Shield. But but just hearing people's reaction on Twitter uh, from our friends in like the Star Wars community that got me kind of back into Shield. This is this is the episode that they got me to watch because they were just like this is great. Like it's yeah. better than any other superhero show out there. And so I was like, "All right, I'll try it. I'll go back." Cuz I I didn't hate the first couple episodes. I was just there was just there's so much TV. Uh, uh, it was it, there's only so much time in the day. I mean, you know, you know how it is. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, but this is such a good episode. Like it is it and it totally lives up to that hype. Like it feels like a mini movie. Yeah, it does. Oh, and it was really fun rewatching it because I didn't I remembered like the gist of what happened, but I didn't remember the specifics and how like awful everything is. <laughs> like, like. like <laughs> <laughs> when I watched the previous episode, it timed where uh, Scarlett Johansson had just done something really stupid online. Oh, God. So I ended up restarting uh, the previous episode like four or five times. Like, and one point got like three quarters of the way through it, I think, just wasn't watching at all. It yeah. was like, oh, crap. I, I kept restarting it. This one, though, like, I wasn't distracted by anything because I immediately got sucked in because I was just like, oh, crap. Like, this is the good one. Like, it really, and it really yeah. is. This is so good. Yeah, it was actually really hard to take notes because not I mean, a bunch of stuff happens, but it's like Gemma wandering through the desert <laughs> surviving type of thing. It was like I was like, what do I write down? <laughs> like, <laughs> there's a lot of stuff that happens. So, well, there's there's a, a one of the best episodes, one of the best episodes of the, the show Star Wars Rebels. Mm -hmm. um, oh, I can't remember what it was called, but it was about um, General Callus. Uh, being stranded with uh, Zeb, yeah, one of the main characters. It, 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 it has a lot in common with that, and yeah. also with there's an episode of uh, Star Trek: The Next Generation that's really, really similar. And they're both, I think, directly inspired by a movie called Enemy Mine. Mm. Uh, that's really, really good. That is about a guy being stranded on an alien planet with an enemy of his. Oh, like in yeah. the middle of an alien war, and they have to survive together. And like, and it's definitely not that part you know it's not like there's yeah. there is no oh it's you know two people on opposite sides of a war have to band together to survive that doesn't happen but it does have a lot of the same vibe of just this like space robinson crusoe space castaway kind of thing yeah 
And I and and I love that they did this with the one character that you would not expect to to be put in that situation. Like any of the male characters, Daisy, like these are all very hardy characters. Like you don't think of Gemma Simmons as being that type of agent, but she really is. Like, and she proves herself and that she didn't need to prove herself, but she did. <laughs> yeah, she's like, so competent and yeah. she is still like I I, I like it because they're not She's not a perfect character. She's not the same agent that May is. She's not even the same agent that Daisy is at this point, you know, or, or, and, yeah. or, and she's certainly, you know, not the super spy, you know, like, like that May or Bobby is. Like she's different. They're all different, unique characters, but her skill set is still uh, important and versatile enough. And she's still resilient and determined enough to figure out how to adapt that skill set to, to survival and to use what she knows and her training and everything else. And like, man, it's great acting from her. It's great writing, great directing. It's, this is a solid, solid 44 minutes of an episode or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. Before we get started, um, we are a part of the, but why though podcast community. Uh, so be sure to check them out on Twitter at, but why though PC and their website at, but why podcast.com. We are super proud to be a part of their community. All right. This is season three, episode five, 4,722 hours, written by Craig Titley, directed by Jesse Bochco, originally aired October 27th, 2015. This is a weird episode to have right before Halloween. You mentioned that last episode. Yeah, like the, the <laughs> previous one, I feel like because of the stuff with Lash, like, and, and just the, the tone of it, and like, if, like, if you were going to have to pick one of the two, I would have maybe given them a week off between... Uh, episodes three and four and delayed this one by one week and had the previous one air closer to Halloween. I don't know. I don't know. Neither really make a lot of sense, but that one just feels more like. Because of Lash, there's a monster. In yeah. It. Well, it, <laughs> feels like a, yeah, it does. It feels a little bit like a monster story. Yeah. Uh, and, and just the tone of it, uh, of the story with Lash. Whereas this, it's a, like, I, it feels like a sci-fi story. It feels great. Uh, that, that uh, enemy mine was a fantastic movie uh, starring Dennis Quaid and, uh, Louis Gossett Jr., I think, as mm. the uh, as the alien, and it was like re- it was really really well done. And this has a super similar tone, just like this, like because it's also it's really effective special effects, but really bare bones. Yeah, like because it's just I mentioned it when we first mentioned her being stranded and the glimpse we saw or whatever. It's like it just is almost like blue. It's just like in like I know our sky is blue. It's just like there's a blue light over everything. Every everything it's like a filter, a blue. Yeah, filter. yeah. And it looks um, beautiful, but it's, it, it doesn't feel expensive, even though it's effective. Yeah. Um, I was reading on the Wikipedia because it was, you know, there's like always a little snippet of filming in it. Um, they, the director of photography, um, Felix Parnell, got the inspiration for this filming, this filtering effect from Mad Max Fury Road to make it appear to be nighttime. But they shot during the day. So it was like full daylight and then you just put this like kind of nighttime dusk filter on it. Man, um, you see how other things are not effective doing that. And like yeah. it really makes you appreciate that they were excellent in this. Yeah. And this was actually filmed um uh up near where there was an earthquake. Um two very large earthquakes recently in Southern California. <laughs> so near Vasquez Rocks. Like up Oh crazy. Yeah, up by Ridgecrest. Yeah. Um yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> it's like over by the Mojave Desert. So it was very hot. They're filming during the day. It was very hot. Supposed to, these are supposed to be like nighttime scenes, essentially, because the planet um, is has eighteen hour, 
or 18 year nights, <laughs> um, which is nuts. Um, there's something else I wanted to talk about. Do we know the name of the planet? I don't know. I thought Do it was in here and now I don't think it is. I'm going to look it up real quick. Yes. We do. What's the name of this planet? Uh, it is. I, I think it's a spoiler of sorts, but I don't think. Oh, okay, let's it. not talk about it yet. Then we'll talk. Well, about I mean, <laughs> I don't know when they reveal it. I think it's okay because, like, it doesn't say anything to say the name of the planet, right? <laughs> I don't I know. Don't know. <laughs> it's it's called Maveth. Okay, that doesn't ring any bells for me. Being spoilery, like revealing anything, so it does have a meaning. But I'll mention that in the spoiler section. Just okay. Like, sounds good. I don't think it'll matter. <laughs> <laughs> we'll find out. Someone will have read us an email. I'm sure everybody that listens to this show has already watched Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. at some point. I don't know. I would think so. And I would think anyone who, who is who hasn't is just doing this for fun, so they wouldn't care. <laughs> like, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I can't imagine why anyone would. I'm going to listen to the first part and then listen to the second part after. Like, I don't know. But if that's the way you do it, cool. Yeah. Thanks for being here. Sorry if we spoiled anything. <laughs> we, try, we try not to. I feel like that's a weird precedent podcast culture has set. Yeah. But we're you know, adhering to it. <laughs> we, we want there to be new Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. fans out there coming into the family. So that's why we do this. <laughs> anyway, um, so this episode basically picks up Gemma telling this story to Fitz in her room and it starts six months ago which I oh my god I didn't realize it was that long ago um See, I, I, I kind of thought it would have been longer so did I like it was like six months you know had happened it's interesting because I feel like six months had happened between the season finale and the new one and then the last three episodes have been like just non-stop which yeah is right but doesn't feel right the way you remember it, the weeks and the days off in between and stuff yeah exactly um, so Gemma is sucked up by the monolith and is transported to this weird twilight planet and it is hour zero and she climbs up, um, to like a high point and she sees the sky and she's like, no way. Cause she sees like the moons. She's obviously not on earth anymore. And she starts recording, um, essentially like journal entries on her phone. She talks about how there's oxygen, there's, it's a breathable atmosphere. So there's oxygen. The gravity feels a little bit stronger. She starts taking photos of the train. She's like, no sign of wildlife or water. And then she's like, oh shit, there's no water. <laughs> and she stays in the same spot like where the portal opened just in case like Fitz figures out a way to get her back like right away. And she's like trying to figure out what to do. And at hour 13, she decides to go to sleep and she's kind of talking to Fitz, but talking to herself. And she's like, you know, you always said like, if you have a problem, you can't solve sleep on it. So she goes to sleep. She wakes up at 20 hour 22. And she's like, shit, like I'm still here. <laughs> and there's no sunrise and she climbs up to the top of this hill and she's like where is the fucking sun she doesn't say that but she's basically like where the fuck is the sun like i need the sun and she's starting to lose it she realizes like okay this is not earth this is not my home what am i gonna do <laughs> um and so she decides to go find water she leaves her necklace 
um, on some rocks and she makes these rocks uh, point um, like an arrow in the direction that she walks and she's talking to herself and we are at 99 hours. She talks about how um, a human can go three weeks without food, but they need water within like a hundred hours and it's like almost there. (laughs) And um, a sandstorm comes and buries her in the sand and she wakes up and she's crawling and she finds a pond of water and she goes and drinks the water and she lays next to it and she swims in the water and then something in the pond grabs her by the leg and she gets away and she cuts off this tentacle that looks like a plant. She tries to eat it and she's like, oh, I can't do it. And then she's like, Fitz, you would be so proud of me. So she makes this weapon out of a stick and like a rock and goes hunting for this plant thing. <laughs> um, so she she makes this tool and goes in the water to hunt this thing. And I think her what she says like to her recording or like whatever she's saying to like herself fits is like, unfortunately, the thing that I need to eat thinks I'm food too or something like that. And so she stabs this thing and she drags it out of the water and she's like, ha, your dinner, biatch. And she like celebrates and she makes a fire and like cooks this thing. And she's like, I know you wouldn't give up, so I won't either. Talking to fits, which is really sweet. Um, and she, you know, eats her meal. She gets up and she starts walking around. She hears a noise and it's these, um, I don't know what to call them, like like sticks that are sticking up out of the sand. They, They're like. They look like bamboo shoots, don't they? They do. They're are they like, shoots of something? I, like, like, I couldn't, I don't know. I There's, thought that they, they were so sparsely, or like it was, it was, it, it, it looked cool, but it was. There were a couple times where I felt like maybe the seams were showing a little bit. If that makes sense, where like, yeah, where like you could see a, a too wide a shot, yeah, and like you could see that it's just this weird little spot, <laughs> like this weird yeah. like, random rectangle of bamboo shoots, and, and everything well, else is barren or whatever. Yeah, well, and maybe that's why it was weird. Like, so she hears these things like clinging together, and she walks through it, and then it's a trap essentially. Like she falls through like the ground into this tunnel underground. Which I guess that does make some more sense why it looks unnatural or whatever. Yeah, like, like, like and so maybe it was supposed to look that way, but but at the same time it felt weird while watching it. <laughs> it also felt weird while watching it because like wouldn't she be like, why is this weird rectangle of bamboo shoots <laughs> sticking up here? Well I should probably go in it. Like you know what I mean? Like, like, yeah. I don't it is a little weird. I I I I feel like she's delirious and disoriented. Like she's not on on her A game right now. So maybe that's why. (laughs) Um, But anyway, she falls into this trap and um, she wakes up and it is now hour 761 and she's in a cage and there's a dude walking around in there and um, she's like, please let me out. And he doesn't answer her. And then he comes back and he's like, oh, you're still here. And she's like, yeah, where else would I go? Dumbass. Like, and she introduces herself to him. She's like, I'm Gemma Simmons. I'm Dr. Gemma Simmons. I'm from Earth and I see that you speak English. So I'm assuming you are too. Like help please like we can help each other and he's like oh you're not real or something like that and he gives her food and leaves and then (laughs) she looks at the food and in the next scene she pretends that she's poisoned and is like rolling around on the ground like oh why would you poison me and he like comes running and he's like what and he opens the cage and she hits him in the head with the bowl and runs away and escapes and he's like and the word that 
the words that he says is definitely real. So he thinks that she's not there, like he's saying things. <laughs> and so she, they run outside and Gemma like runs and she falls on these rocks and she cuts herself. And he's like, you have to come back. Like it can smell blood. She's like, what? And so he's like dragging her back to his tunnel thing. And she's like, no, I don't want to go with you. I don't want to be your prisoner anymore. And the sandstorm comes over them and he throws her down into this hole that has like a ladder and he jumps in after her and he's like, um, you know, you can't go out there alone. Like, and she's like, what are you talking about? And he's like, it's death or something. I don't know, something like weird and mystic. <laughs> and um, he's like, oh, I didn't, I didn't know you were real or something. And she's like, well, next time you have, you have doubts about whether someone is real, ask them to hit you. <laughs> and she's like, do you have a name? And she's super like antagonistic and like untrusting, which is granted, like he had her in a cage for many hours. Uh, and his, we found out his name is Will. And that he's an astronaut and he's been there since 2001. He's been there for 14 years. Um, and so he tells Gemma his story. And he came through with a team. He came through with NASA. And um, NASA has always been curious about the monolith. And they were like, okay, we have this mission. We're basically going to go through this portal. And we don't know if it'll be a one-way trip or not. But um he volunteered to go through and he was the first one through he came through um with scientists so the rest of his team were there to collect samples and he was there to just keep them alive and it seems like nasa knew what was on the other side like they just wanted actual people to go over there and like bring back information and then when they could get them back they would get them back and so they sent them with a bunch of supplies and will talks about how you know Gemma asked he's like what happened to the rest of the team and will's like it got them and he said that one guy threw himself off a cliff, one guy set himself on fire, and the other guy took an axe to all the gear, and then he tried to come after Will, and I had to take him down. And she's like, well, what about you? And he's like, well, I managed to avoid it, and I, you know, I'm just lucky, I guess. And she kind of starts to suggest, she's like, you know, there's a perfectly, like, reasonable explanation for why all these things happen. It happens, you know, when people are in isolation all the time or, like, in situations like this. And he's like, are you suggesting that I went mad and killed everyone? And he gets really upset and leaves. And she's like, look, I'm sorry. I didn't mean that. Um, but we need to work together to get back home. And he's like, what do you mean? Like, we're not going home. And she's like, no we can figure out a way like I'll be hope and you can be impending doom. <laughs> and so they, he agrees to like work with her. Um, and it's really sweet. They become this like, just, Oh, so they're like having dinner and like being a team now. And, um, you know, they're talking about, Oh, ice cold beer and a steak and like all the food that they miss. And she asks, well, what do you miss? That's not food. And he's like the sun, duh. And he's like, what about you? And she's like, well, and she pulls out her phone and she shows him this video of the shield team singing her happy birthday. And it's Fitz. And she's like, that's Fitz. And he's like, yeah, his name is like your favorite word. I think it's a little bit more than your best friend. And she's like, well, I'm going to go to bed. And so she goes to bed and she says, she turns off her phone. And she's like, good night, Fitz. And then she says, good night, Will, which is like, I feel like there's, this is this turning point <laughs> for her um, in her relationship with Will. Um, and she's, 
she's looking over these maps and she's looking over all this data to like try to figure out how to get them home. And she's like, what is this area that what is in the no fly zone? And he's like, look, that's where everybody went mad and like killed themselves or tried to kill me. Like, you can't go there. It's too dangerous. That's where it is. And she's like, you know, we have to try, like we have to go there. And Will's like, no, absolutely not. And so she goes outside and she's gathering food and she sees like where the no fly zone is and she starts walking over there and she finds a sword, like an old sword, like a cutlass. (laughs) And she finds this bag and in the bag, near the bag, there's this sextant that like that navigators used to use when they were before we had GPS and satellites and all that, like when shipfarers, you know, used to use to to navigate the stars and she's like oh the stars like that's the answer that's like how we're gonna get back and then a sandstorm comes and she sees a figure in the storm and it's the thing that's been killing everybody and she sees all these bones on the ground and she realizes like oh shit like what will is talking about is real so she runs back and will lets her in and they go back into the tunnel and she's like look i saw it like and why didn't you tell me that this thing has been killing Like there were, that's like a graveyard, the no-fly zone. There's like bones. Like it's, this stuff is old. We're not the first people that have been here. And he's like, yeah, I don't know what it is, but that thing has been killing everybody that's been coming through here for centuries. And they start talking about like human sacrifice and like all this crazy shit. And she's like, okay, I know how we're going to get out of here. And he's like, how? And she's like, we're going to use the stars. Basically like they know where she came in. They know where he came in and they know the dates and the times. And so they're going to use that to calculate basically how the planet has been rotating based on this, the position of the stars. And they're going to be able to predict uh, the next entry point where the portal will open because the portal is synced somehow to the moons um, of this planet. And so they're going to use um, some of the NASA equipment that uh, Will has to calculate this. And Will's like, well, how? Like that shit's been broken for years. And she's like, well, I have enough battery power probably to calculate it. And he's like, you realize if we use up your battery, no more fits. That's that's it. Like you can't see him anymore. And so she goes outside and like says goodbye to him and shuts her phone off. And it's really sad. So they fix the NASA equipment. Somehow Gemma and this astronaut dude who has no idea about science and tech fix this equipment, (laughs) which I guess desperate times call for intuitive measures, inventive measures. I don't know. Um, And the program is called Pathfinder. And um, they calculate the spot just as the next um, portal opening spot, just as the battery runs out. And the next spot is in the no-fly zone, and it is across a canyon. So it's not going to be easy to get to. It's like a 40-hour hike, and then they have to get across this canyon somehow. Um, And Will builds this, like shitty i don't even know what to call it like a grapple grapple hook thing to like shoot across the canyon so that it's yeah. connected to a rope it's gotta be some like grappling hook launcher because that's the the plan is to shoot across the canyon for them to slide down uh the rope yeah yeah and Gemma is like very unimpressed she's like I, he's like what did you think i was gonna build a helicopter she's like well yeah kind of <laughs> like and so they get all of their gear and they trek to the portal opening and then um He's like, what are we going to do if, like, you know, we can't make it? And she's like, well, we have this bottle that has all the information Fitz needs to find us. And so we'll just throw that in the portal. And um, 
they start talking about the thing that's out there and um will's like well I'll take care of it if it comes to that. And he pulls out a gun and she's like, wait, you have a gun? And he's like, it only has one bullet in it. It was like supposed to be my contingency plan if I didn't make it out of here. <laughs> so that was going to be his his death wish. Um, and so they get to the canyon and it is way bigger than they thought. Like, I think they said 30 meters. It's like more than 100 meters across. Like, it's way too large for them to cross. And Will chalks this up to the planet doesn't want them to leave. Like something happened and like the canyon got bigger or something and they see the portal open across the canyon. And so um, they're like, look, we'll just shoot the bottle into the portal. And so they get uh, Will gets his like grappling hook thing set up. They, they stick the bottle in there and they shoot it. And the portal closes just as the bottle hits the rocks. And so this is a good, again, <laughs> like action sequence where like. It doesn't seem like it's anything crazy expensive or whatever, but it's super effective. Like, yeah, it all happens really fast. And with this, like, lighting to make it look like it's this blue night, like, it just looks really cool. And, like, you you feel defeated when that, when that <sighs> bottle smashes against the wall, the canyon wall. You're like, oh, shit, because it's so close. Like, you see, like, the energy crackle right as it, right yep. as it, like, slides right into the wall. It's so frustrating. You're like, ah. Yeah, it's real bad. Gemma is just devastated. She's, like, back in their tunnel. Like, she starts kicking things over, and she's like, this place is hopeless. There's no hope here. And Will comforts her. And he's like, you know, I used to think that, too. And then you showed up. And they start kissing and comforting each other physically. <laughs> but it's really sweet because it's like Gemma gave – she's essentially given up that she's ever going to get home. And so may as well make do with what you got. And he's cute. So, hey. <laughs> um, and we go to hour 4,720. And they're going to go out to watch the sunrise. And apparently she did all these calculations. And there's only one sunrise every 18 years. So if they miss this one, they can always make it to the next one. <laughs> um, and Will, they're they're walking to go up to um, this this lookout point. And uh, Will's like, hey, I have a surprise. And apparently he went back to the graveyard where the sword and all that shit was. And he found the bottle of wine to be romantic. And so they you know, pour themselves wine. And it's really bad. It's like vinegar now. And they're like, oh, we can use it to flavor our cooking. And just like Gemma is just like planning this future together with him. And it's really cute, but also really sad. And then as she's looking at him, she's like, I really think my dad would have liked you. And you see this light in her eyes reflected. And it's the flare that fits shot through the monolith a couple episodes ago. And she's like, oh, my God. And they run towards it. And then all of a sudden, this this sandstorm starts coming up around them. And, and that thing is there. And she sees the thing as this astronaut and it's like one of his old crew members bodies that's like dead obviously like he's covered in blood and he's holding the sword in his hand and she's like oh my god and will comes up he's like run go and she runs off and then the sand envelops will and you hear a gunshot and then you start to hear Fitz calling Gemma's name and so she's like oh my god will where are you wait Fitz I'm here she's like going back and forth between the two of them and she's still looking for will but like Fitz is calling for her and as we know Fitz grabs her and pulls her through the monolith and we're back at where we where we are in time <laughs> what we're familiar with and we get back to Gemma's room and she's saying, you know, I don't know if he's alive or not, but I wouldn't be alive 
now if it weren't for him. And we have to go back and try to save him. And Fitz doesn't say anything. He just gets up and leaves. And she follows him and she's like, please say something. And he's like on the computer and he's like, what? Like, I'm, you know, look. And it's like all these schematics for like the monolith research that they've been doing. And he's like, we, we'll go get him back. And Gemma just starts crying and Fitz has this look on his face like, like he loves her and he knows this is the right thing to do, but it's just like tearing him up inside. And it's so, oh, the scene is so rough. Fuck, these two. It is, it's, this whole thing is heartbreaking and like the whole time, you know, while watching it, I'm thinking of, fits as well like it's about yeah. it's about what's going on on the screen that like don't get me wrong it's not in service of his character but you do think because because we're introduced to them as Fitz Simmons the joint at the no. hip their romance is such uh, an important part of their relationship and their characters at this point and their friendship is built into who they are and how we know them yeah. it's like it's like there's a line from um an old Batman comic book about about why uh, Dick Grayson became Nightwing. He said at one point you get sick of being the second half of Batman and Robin. Like Aww. you get sick of being an and Robin. And like like and but I feel like it's the same thing. It's like they are Fitz and Simmons. Fitz <laughs> we, yeah. we, we we met them as Fitzsimmons as as, as their ship name. Like like so before they were even a ship. So like like I, I feel like it's not too messed up and too like oh I'm just programmed to care about how it affects the male. Cause I'm not thinking of it primarily, but just every once in a while throughout this episode, you think about where he was at in this moment or because we well, know when he was trying to find her and he was frustrated. And we also know that this whole time she's trying to get back to him. She keeps telling him about Fitz and mentioning yeah. Fitz and his brilliance. She didn't give up until she thought there was no hope of going yeah, back. She thought it'd be years before she had another shot. Yeah. Oh, it's so like it's just so heartbreaking because, you, but, but like the same heartbreak, empathy you feel for Fitz, you feel for, for for Simmons, and you also feel that she feels this guilt that she should not have. Yeah, you know, like on any level, and yeah. I think she knows that. Yeah, but it doesn't stop you from feeling it. Oh, Ooh, it's it's it is it's rough. It's excellent television and super rough. <laughs> like and I love oh, oh, there's one more scene I forgot. So the very end scene is Will is standing in the sunrise that they were supposed to be watching with the empty gun. He throws the gun away and then the sun sets as he's walking away. And so he's still alive on this planet. And damn, if that isn't some symbology right there. <laughs> well, and, and well, and that let's part. Talk about, let's talk about spoilers because okay. everything that we talk about after this is going to be spoilery. So spoiler section time. Okay. The comics connection is William Daniels character. Uh, but he is, uh, what do you call it? Um, at this point, at the end of that episode, at least if not earlier, we can talk about that as well. Uh, he has been possessed by an alien named hive. Yeah. Hive is also called Alvius. It and he gets some other names throughout the the series. He's called uh, Hive the Terrible. He's from this planet called Maveth, which is Hebrew for death, I think. Mm. Which has something to do with something. Is but, that the uh, word that they found on the scroll? I think it Maveth? is. So that's the name of the planet that they were going to, or right. one name for it. But so uh, this guy is... Uh, I, I, I don't know if we know if he was a Cree or one of the 
early groups they experimented on, but he is an inhuman from this planet, Mavath. Mm-hmm. And that he, uh, as a result of his teragenesis, he's essentially become a hive mind organism where he is a bunch of microscopic parasites that work in conjunction with his consciousness. And he, so as a result, he can basically reanimate corpses and possess them. He can regenerate and heal uh, himself or whatever he's possessed. And they can infest brains of inhumans specifically, not regular humans. Uh, without them being dead and like control multiple versions of them at the same time, like drones. Uh, whereas like humans, I think you'd only possess one at a time and, and in the process would kill them or they would already be dead possessing reanimating a corpse. Right. And he's super, and he's a superhumanly strong, uh, in the comics. We first meet high. Let me see in secret warriors. Number two in May of 2009. He was created by Jonathan Hickman, Brian Michael Bendis, and Stefano Caselli. And he was just, uh, yeah, part of like this rebuilding up of Hydra in this series. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of brings us into the, uh, the spoiler process. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's, that's one thing that I, I, I almost found myself mentioning while doing the episode and i was like oh wait wait, wait that definitely would be a giant spoiler <laughs> but yeah. uh because he tells his story you mentioned he's an astronaut and he mentions he's from nasa and he is from nasa but he's also not because no. project dark star pathfinder or whatever used nasa recruits but it was part of Hy- the hydra takeover of shield and everything else yeah it, he he was hydra the whole yeah. time yeah and so and i also like I, I sort of lied before when i said that you know uh one difference between enemy mind is they're not enemies on different sides, but they are it's just, yeah. she doesn't know it that she's yeah. making out with a Hydra dude. <laughs> well, I mean, and yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe a Hydra dude. <laughs> I don't, know, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> maybe, maybe an undead alien. Cause he might've already. And again, because of the way that went down, either we know, we know that that moment we see William where he has the, discards it. We know that he uh, is not William anymore. We don't. Yeah. What we don't know is if the process of Fitz uh, rescuing Simmons is is the moment where he gets changed. We don't know if it's before. We don't know yeah. if it's before he even met Simmons. Yeah, because we know the way he behaves later on. Another giant spoiler: he possesses Ward. Coulson gets to fucking kill Ward. It's awesome. It's one of the best moments of the show. Oh, Kills yeah. him at the end of the season. It's super satisfying. And immediately they fuck with us, and they're like, "Oh yeah, but Hive lives on through him." So of course. <laughs> so we never. So we don't lose Ward for another whole season because they're yeah. dicks. Uh, so um yeah. the reason we talk we're talking about this is because in season six and i haven't watched this episode yet you've only discussed it with me that simmons and fitz are like kind of hashing out some some differences that they have in like couples therapy or whatever <laughs> and, yeah, and sort of a couples therapy-esque yeah yeah uh, exchange and fitz mentions that or what did you say like she's giving him a hard time about ada yeah about, about him making an AI sex bot. And he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Because the guy from your problematic fave, The Mummy, that's the guy who really made yeah. the robotic sex bot. 
she just fell in love with, with this, who, yeah. who helped him make it, but yeah, it wasn't his idea. <laughs> it's, so, it's all so stupid and comic booky, but it's amazing. But it does have that awesome dude from The Mummy who plays yes. the scientist later on. Uh, but yeah, so, so she gives him shit for Ada, and then his response is, yeah, well, we still don't really know when Will got changed into Hive, do we? And she, and like... <laughs> The look on on Elizabeth Hinstrich's face, like I felt Gemma's stomach drop with mine. Like I you know my eyes dilated at the same time. I was like, "Oh no!" Like she had sex with a corpse animated by a nanoscopic, you know, alien inhuman insect. Oh. I, <laughs> such heebie-jeebies. I feel like though. Yeah, that brings up a good point. But we saw like the shadowy figure walking through, like when she found the we sword. We did, and the but he also, t- but the way he describes the way his friends die, like, one of them jumps off a cliff. Like, like, like it feels oh, like there's no, some like, ways that they manipulate people. And knowing his powers, is he animating another corpse while he's doing it? Right. <laughs> like maybe well he changed well before Gemma was even there and he killed like he was when he was saying oh I went mad and killed everyone maybe he was telling the truth yeah well, and like the way that Hive operates where he kind of takes on some characteristics of Ward and whatnot and we just know he was originally a humanoid person like there's no reason to believe he wouldn't want companionship you know like like yeah. I don't know it. Well, and obviously, like, he sees something in Gemma that would be able to help get him off this planet. Yes. And so, so to manipulate that and engender yeah. whatever and affection he can. Oh. Fuck, then, man. <laughs> so my question is, at the end, I, I, I can't remember, even though I just watched it last night, do, does, do we hear the gunshot? Yeah, we hear the gunshot. But we he could have hear- just been shooting into the air to, like... You know, we don't see him shoot anything. Yeah, they just shoot it because he's like, "Well, I'm not going to get anyone else in here because of the way the obelisk works." So do I just uh, do I just let her go and, and make her? Think she'll come come back and or make her think. Well, like, is this part of the long, the long con? Either way, we believe it's led. You're, we're led to believe as viewers that this is is part of his plot to get off of Maveth. Yeah. So. But like, how long has it been part of his plot? Like, like because and, who, and who, how who who else is involved in this plot? Like, <laughs> if he didn't possess him earlier, maybe not before the effect, or maybe but, he was waiting until that was a good moment to possess him. He's like, like watching their relationship grow. Oh, which is super creepy. It, no matter what, <laughs> it, 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 this whole thing takes on a super creepy level, and Hive becomes way worse because say what you want about him for the rest of this you know, season and next season and whatever, because he's bad news for sure. He's crazy and monstrous. I don't think he ever essentially raped somebody by posing as someone else. <laughs> so I don't, I don't think this so either. would bring him to a whole new level of super villainy and evil and just like visceral evil humanity. I like that the way that Mo and Jed dropped this knowledge in the new season <laughs> is tentative. Cause, cause I feel like mentioning it. And the more I watched this episode and thought about it while watching it. And then just us talking about it, I do, I'm kind of leaning towards him having already been changed, 
but that just makes it so much worse. For but making it, making it open ended <laughs> though gives us the excuse that we could always say no. <laughs> like, well, like it's it's more painful. I don't know if it's more painful that if he was Hive first, or if she did fall in love with this human dude and then he tragically turned into Hive afterwards, and they didn't know until they. Well, brought either him. way, it's really like, messed up. Either way, her going to save him at this point is super screwed up, and that's the very end before that reveal. When Fitz is like gets up to go save her, that's the part I've mentioned several times yeah. where it's just made me fall in love with that character because it's just like he has tears in his eyes. It's great subtle acting from both of them because they are both like she is full on like tears are starting to stream down her face because she's like freaking out. It's so emotional and yeah. she just and you can tell she's feeling this guilt she shouldn't feel and all this shit and you can tell that like you don't you think that he's being petty and and the way he was with Bobby, the previous episode about keeping secrets and stuff like it for a split second, you think this is the worst of fits like mm-hmm. so far, not definitely not total, <laughs> you know, with spoilers <laughs> for everything. This is sociopath fits, but, uh, he, but like you think like, Oh shit, he's just like storming off and being a, a you know, a brat about it and throwing a hissy fit, but he yeah. wasn't, he was like, no, I'm getting on this right now. We're figuring it out. I'm getting him back just like I got you back. And you can tell he's fighting back tears because he desperately does not want to save the guy who she's in love with now instead of him. Yeah. <laughs> but he's like, but he saved you and you and you love him. Like I'm doing it. Yeah. Like it's like oh. God damn, that's what heroes are. And like him, Max, Steve Rogers, Colson, May, you know, Bobby, these are the characters that make these shows and the MCU and stuff like so much fun. These aspirational heroes who are just like where the fuck are these guys in our real government and military? I know. <laughs> Damn it. Now there's, I feel like there's something in Endgame that could have been so much better. We could have had this moment with Cap, like having to save Peggy's future husband or something. And like, uh, stupid time travel shit, making things complicated. <laughs> it, I, that could have been interesting if he thought he was doing one last thing to save Peggy's future husband ended up becoming him. <laughs> yeah. We got his happy ending by trying to be sacrifice self-sacrificing. That'd be uh, that'd be that'd be nice cap. Yeah. But whatever. I still uh, I'm obsessed with the fact that people are hunting down people in the new season for messing with the time stream. I'm just like, where's that <laughs> upcoming cap miniseries? Where's that movie? <laughs> I want that Disney Plus show. Oh my god. Chris Evans basically doing with Weekend at Bernie's, but with his own corpse. With yeah, cap, yeah, with, yeah. With, with old man cap. <laughs> young cap to get like i'd watch that a million times right? i'll buy two disney bus subscriptions oh my god dude so this episode is just like ugh, fuck so emotional so good such a huge turning point because i feel like this episode gave them permission to do the space the weird space shit like they saw that there was like a desire for that from the audience i think I don't know if you feel that way. No, I think so. It, 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 but like at the very least, it was like a proof of concept. Like it showed yeah. we can make this stuff work with our budget, with our show, with our concept, and it did. It, like it, it works really well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is like some of the. This is Shield at its best. I feel like because they didn't just rely on the special effects and stuff like that. Like they took this desperate situation to make character development from Gemma. 
and for Will and just to create this tragic situation between Gemma and Fitz. And I feel like that's what S.H.I.E.L.D. does really well is like, yeah, the framework was like fucking trippy and crazy, but it what it did to the characters, it put them in these situations that were so tragic and like upside down and just made monsters out of our favorites and made heroes out of the villains and it confused the hell out of us <laughs> like because we have so much emotional attachment to these characters from like other um other circumstances so it's like oh and then the whole thing where like Fitz and Gemma only have a relationship that works when the world has been destroyed <laughs> fuck man why did you have to say that because I'm, I'm never gonna stop thinking about that <laughs> Like it's really. I hope that it's not how they end the show. And it, it, like, like they. That's. I don't want to spoil anything. I need you to get caught up. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's okay. It's just like, like there's just some great moments. Uh, D keeps calling him Bobo. <laughs> <laughs> that's the only other part I'll spoil is that Fitz is like, why does he keep calling him Bobo? And oh my god. She says, "You asked him to." You know, <laughs> it's great because it's like it's totally true. Grandpa, grandparents <laughs> make up what the grandkids call them. Yeah. And I just love that, like, Fitz is like, why is this spaz calling me Bobo? <laughs> it's like, he knows, he knows everything. He's just like, uh, what the fuck? Well, and the fact that, like, you already know, so it's not spoiling it, that when they do all reunite, like, Fitz doesn't know any of the rest of what they've what's happened with Yeah, because it's a different timeline. Yeah, they have, like, an extra, like, what year since they've gotten back plus however many weeks they were in the future in the rest of that season. So they have like, you know, like a year and change year and several months of time that he doesn't have. Plus he has a different year. It's so weird. (laughs) It's super weird. weird. (laughs) But so so like, so so like Zeke has this, or or Zeke, Zeke has this huge uh, attachment to him already. And he's just like, I like, I intellectually understand you. Like my grandson. I don't (laughs) That's hilarious. Oh my God. I didn't even think about that. No, but everyone else, he still has, even though they've lost time and it's it's all all weird for all of them because, you know, we're in the full spoiler spoiler section. He goes sort of fucking sociopathic where he's like kind of like acting all Nazi doctor, like, well, you know, in Justify the Means, I'm going to fucking experiment on Daisy to make shit happen. And he happens to be right, but he also ends up dying in the process. And like, it's. He's also exploitive and just really cold and inhuman. It's caused by not no pun intended on the inhuman, <laughs> but but he's uh he was you know and definitely impacted I think by you know his time in the framework and everything. Yeah, absolutely. But, but it's just it's just interesting like to think like because everyone else like they know okay Fitz never went through whatever process he goes through to become future Fitz and then and then also fuck with Daisy and and even though they know that. Like I'm sure for every individual character, it's going to be a different process of of rationalizing that, but they still have their basic connection and relationship with him and loyalty mm-hmm. to him and and affection and friendship. And all these characters have had in, in the course of the show have had really well done, built up connections and relationships, except for Deke and him, where everyone else <laughs> is on the same page. As Deke, but he's just like, who the fuck is this spaz? Which just like <laughs> accentuates his annoying kid but like 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 he's just he every change they've done makes it makes uh me like his character and his role in the show more but also makes him more of like cousin oliver in 
you know, the final season of Brady Bunch or yeah. Urkel on on Family Matters or whatever, where they're bringing this person in towards the end, who's the butt of our jokes, the punching bag. <laughs> like, like let's just make fun of this dude. <laughs> like, and it's it's weird, but it does work. Like, because they have made it uniquely Shield because he's part of some weird fucking time loop. That's the other part. Because I don't know if you remember, but Fitz argued they couldn't change time and it was a, a set loop yeah yeah so that <laughs> deke is like i was right <laughs> <laughs> time can can diverge <laughs> oh my god which probably infuriates Fitz even more Wait, he doesn't he doesn't even understand why this dude's arguing with him <laughs> <laughs> he's like he shouldn't even exist dude <laughs> yeah this, this admittedly annoying dude <laughs> loves him <laughs> is arguing with him about something he has no recollection of is his <laughs> grandson and is calling him Bobo. It's just like like that that is a lot to deal with. That is a lot on top of everything else. <laughs> oh my God. You know what? I just thought of something that was the biggest plus of this episode, I think for me and probably for you too. No Lincoln? Yes. Not even a mention. Not no. even a boy like our friend Lincoln. None of that shit. <laughs> No Lincoln. Maybe that's why we love this episode so much. Yeah, it really is. That was why this is so loud. It's like, oh, this is the best episode of the series. <laughs> He's right in the middle of Lincoln's time, of, of the reign of Lincoln. They're like, this one just has zero reference to him. Yep. Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, he was busy making contact with his, uh, his spy crew in Australia, his animal buddies. His, his guana well, you mentioned You mentioned rescuers, which, okay, this is so silly. I ended up watching it after you mentioned it last time. And so I rewatched Rescuers Down Under. And I've just been watching, as I've mentioned on the show, and as anyone who follows me knows, I love DuckTales. I've been watching a lot of Disney stuff. But I ended up reading about uh, the platypus because on a different Disney cartoon show, there's a cartoon platypus, Perry the platypus, who's also a secret agent. <laughs> and uh, this 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 direct connects directly to Shield, so bear with me. Okay. But, uh, but 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 to start, it's just really this part just really cracks me up. He's a secret agent. He's a platypus, right? In real life, in the show, he's platypus. They emphasize that their tails look like beaver tails, so like mm -hmm. he uses it like a beaver tail. In his theme song, even they they mention he has a, a beaver tail on a bill. But uh, <laughs> but he uh, in real life, platypus. Or platypuses, they're not platypi. That's a misnomer. Uh, they, what do you call it? They have a sixth sense in real life. They literally, their their bill isn't hard. It's soft and it's made of a bundle of nerves. The whole thing is a, is basically a giant nerve ending to sense electro uh, like electromagnetic activity. Like sharks. Yes, yeah. exactly. It's yeah. a, the same ability that sharks do in water, in both in water and outside of water. Oh damn! To, so they can hunt. With their eyes closed <laughs> in a scentless environment, they can like not smell anything. They can still hunt their prey, which is fucking cool. That's <laughs> like because kind of they terrifying. Can, <laughs> they can see them. They can see them on the electromagnetic spectrum. That's fucking awesome. They're literal mutants. They're literal. Super, they have superpowers. They're mammals that lay eggs. They give milk but have no nipples. They just they're the female mammals sweat milk, which is fucking insane, <laughs> right? Like like they just they're amazing, but. They're electric powered mutants. Luke. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so Luke, our friend Luke Mitchell. Lincoln. Lincoln's basically a platypus man. So that's my that's my first uh connection. But the direct connection that I, I have to mention is while uh consuming some Disney products and Disney uh media, there's a spin-off of this show with the platypus, uh starring Weird Al Yankovic called Milo Murphy's Law, and and in it, 
there are recurring not not really villains but like basically they're super spies who are part of a time traveling spy organization like stops people from fucking up with time mm-hmm. and they mock like two of the main supporting characters these characters have a subplot who are low level time traveling spies they're basically like janitors for the spy uh organization who take care of time and they're voiced by Ming-Na Wen and Brett and uh, uh Brett Ward what and they're designed to look like them That's and so they're funny. agents Savannah instead of Melinda and Brick instead of Grant so wow. they're, they're Savannah and Brick and they look like them and their characters like it's I, I ended up watching every one, one of these shorts they're 11 minute episode 11 minute long episodes but of this show which is pretty funny it's totally stupid kid stuff but it's great that their characters are like so based on them that they're like the super competent spies who are almost dicks because like they make fun of the bad spies yeah. <laughs> but also they hate each other like there's like this underlying like like they're constantly digging each other so it's totally the the war and and may relationship that's so amazing i didn't know that they did that. oh my god i'll send you pictures because they are like based on them it makes me so happy like like i'm so need pleased. to post that from the i will I'll post that from you. when we do this episode i will time it and post a bunch of pictures of it maybe i'll do one before then just to show oh my god. but it's it's so funny and weird but yeah there's basically shield fans there's cartoon versions of Ward and, and May, who work for a time travel organization, and their boss, uh, Director Block, I think, is uh, voiced by Mark Hamill, which is just cool. <laughs> that is cool. I thought you were going to say Clark Gregg. I think that would oh god, I really wish put the cherry on top. I, did you know that would be perfect? Did you know that platypuses are also from Australia? <laughs> <laughs> Electric powered Australian uh, secret agents. They're either Platypus or Luke Mitchell. (laughs) (laughs) So now we, at this point, we have we have accused Luke Mitchell of being part platypus and of just only really being worried about what happens to the animals. Really, that that's what what's causing his. Oh, and maybe having a a legitimately good American accent. We also we did give him that one compliment. Yeah. I swear we're not anti-Australian, just (laughs) anti-Luke Mitchell. (laughs) The Australian animal thing really does entertain me, though. I love that. No, that bit is, that's awesome. (laughs) Like, the fact that that stuff's real. I mean, except for the spider stuff, that's scary. And I can sort of relate to that, because Oregon, like, every fall when I lived in Portland, it's like, you just remember that, oh, yeah, the spiders are just letting you live there. (laughs) Because, like, 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 200 foot tall like pine trees like overnight will be covered in spider webs and you're like oh right okay no thank you there must be <laughs> millions of you like right in the, right above my house like okay nope. nope wow so apparently as of 2017 there is no platypus in captivity outside of australia three attempts have been made to bring the animals to the bronx zoo <laughs> And so in 1922, <laughs> 1947, <laughs> this is awesome. I love this. In 1958, of these, only two out of the three animals introduced uh, lived longer than 18 months. Oh, that's really I was hoping sad. They, like escaped. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's kind of interesting that they can't, like, they just can't live outside of Australia. Like, <laughs> they just don't do well. Those I guess fucking, those fucking 
perfectly engineered animals to live in Australia. <laughs> well, I, I just remember when I was really, really fascinated with Australia as a kid, part, you know, a huge part of it was the animals and, uh, yeah, yeah the, you know, the marsupials, because there's so many of them, we know about koalas and kangaroos, I think more than we know about uh, echidnas and, platyp- and platypuses because they're so unique. They're mm-hmm. fucking fascinating. I was reading about it, like in this process where I, learned about the uh, electric sixth sense that you said like <laughs> sharks have as well. Like, and they're the only animal I think that has the kind of uh, shit in common it has with everything. Like because of the milk and the, the uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, not live birth, the hair and other stuff, you know, yeah. they're mammals, even though they do uh, lay eggs, but they have sh- uh, genetic information in common with reptiles that we don't have. Like we do have shit in common with reptiles, but, unique unique stuff in common with reptiles and shit in common with birds and fish that no other species in the planet has in common with birds or fish their evolutionary branching was just completely different from it was earlier yeah like 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 they previously believed that uh marsupials and monotremes came after mammals but now they know that they can't they came from a common ancestor but they're older like crocodiles and shit and chickens are like prehist- they're like prehistoric they like they're they and they uh the largest shit they've found like the prehistoric uh ancestors of the platypus were over two times as big it's like a regular platypus is like pretty fucking small like yeah. two feet from tail to you know head yeah. but like we're talking like, like about four and a half foot like giant platypus that's kind of terrifying <laughs> I would think like you run into one of those. That might be pretty there, scary. Aren't they venomous too? They do. They have uh, venom. Like the males have legs, venom- yeah. venomous uh, spurs on their hind foot. Like yeah, and uh, no, they're they're fascinating. They're they're almost flat. Yeah, <laughs> they carry I think half their body fat in their tail. Like like their tails aren't like beavers. They're just to carry body fat and store yeah. body fat. They don't use it to help them swim or to build anything. It's it's fucking fascinating. They're uh, Mother Nature's a mad scientist. It gives us platypuses <laughs> and Luke Mitchells. <laughs> All from Australia. Yeah. Odd. Odd, right? <laughs> Coincidence? I think so. <laughs> All right. Before we get too much into Nat Geo uh, Tahiti pod, <laughs> where can people find you on the internet? <laughs> people can find me at I Snow Nothing, where I'm going to talk about platypuses and Luke Mitchell. <laughs> And you can find me at Space Jess with four S's in the Jess. You can find the podcast at Project Tahiti on Twitter. You can send us an email at projecttahitipod at gmail.com. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Podbean. If you're a browser listener, you can also listen to us on um, butwhythopodcast.com. Thank you all so much for listening to this great episode (laughs) with an odd diversion (laughs) about platypuses. Project Tahiti. It's a magical place. Catch you later. Bye. Human. Oh, sorry. No problem. Sexually transmitted disease. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Permanent human Cree. Uh, That'll be the outtake. <laughs> all right. I didn't put anything for discussion. I don't really know what to talk about because this is such a standalone episode. I guess we can talk about that bit uh, yeah. in, a, in a spoiler section discussion and then... Um...
Yeah, I mean, I guess just about reaction. I don't know. Yeah, and hive. Okay, let's okay, let's start. Three, two, one. And hold on, there's like a truck driving by. And I think it just stopped like right in front of my house. Um, <laughs> I don't think I can. I, I can't hear it on my you end. You can't? Okay. It's like really hopefully, loud on my end. Hopefully it's not being picked up too much on the mic. I hope my AC hasn't been messing up this whole Oh, time. no. I can't even hear it. Um, oh, my God. I need to close my windows. I'm sorry. Blunt. Hello? Yes. Okay. Sorry. There's a cat that lives across the alley that's meowing really loud, and the kid is like singing to this cat, and it's very distracting. <laughs> All right. Where am I?